0: Friends, please stand for the reading of God's word. If for whatever reason you don't have a bulletin, you can find our bulletins in the foyer back there. Along with the communion elements as well that you will need in a few moments. So feel free to go back and get a bulletin and the communion elements if you do not have them. Our scripture passage for this gorgeous Easter morning comes from Luke chapter 24. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 27. Remember, beloved... These are the very written words of God for you and for me. They are trustworthy and they are true. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man And they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all of the scriptures the things concerning himself. Indeed, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. And may he add his blessing to it. You may be seated. Well, just a few days ago I read an absolutely harrowing story about four divers who were diving about two hundred yards off the southern coast of Italy in the Adriatic Sea. One of them had found an underwater cave where fresh water and salt water mixed and came together creating very unusual strange and pretty interesting optical effects. They'd be diving no deeper than thirty feet, and so they thought they'd have enough air for a quick look, and then back to the boat. It was a gorgeous August afternoon. When they went down, however, it took much longer than anticipated to find the opening in the coral reef. It was very small and well hidden, and now, unfortunately, they had limited air. Two immediately decided, we're going back to the boat. The other two decided that since they thought it would take little time, take a few picks, come back to the boat, that it would be okay. So they went in. Before long, however, one of them got lost in the cave and very disoriented due to lack of oxygen. When his diving buddy finally found him, he attacked him and tried to take his hose. Okay, He wasn't in his right mind and he was desperate for air. The results of this left them both without air in total darkness in a cave more than thirty feet under the water. The first diver, his name was Antonio, who had gone looking for his friend, found one of the flashlights on the floor of the cave and saw a vertical shaft in the cave thinking it was the way out. And it better be because he had no hair and was, air and was fading fast. Incredibly, instead of hitting the surface of the water, his head hit the ceiling of the cave. He had come up in an air pocket. He said that he screamed until he lost his voice. He was so panicked and afraid. He's in a cave in total darkness with no oxygen except what was in that air pocket. By now, the two divers on the surface who had left realized something very bad had happened. But it was getting close to sunset, and they didn't have enough oxygen to go down and help their friends. When they reported the accident to the authorities, and because the search team couldn't go out to the next morning, They relabeled the team a recovery team, a recovery team to go find the bodies. There was no way anybody could survive in that cave overnight. In the middle of the night, however, the head of the recovering team woke up and had a gnawing feeling that someone could still be alive. And so they set out earlier than scheduled and when they went in with their flashlights, one person had deceased but one person's legs was dangling up at the top of the cave. He was alive. It was amazing. Medics said that if he had been in there even one more hour, his heart would have stopped due to hypothermia. That is incredible. The search team went in looking for a body, and lo and behold, they found a man alive. It seemed almost miraculous. But as miraculous as it seemed, as incredible as it was, it could not compare to what the women found when they went looking for a body on that Sunday morning. What they found when they got to that tomb literally changed the world. And it's been changed ever since. So this morning, this beautiful Easter morning, I want us to work our way through this passage and see if we can get a fuller picture of what the disciples experienced on that first Easter morning. Okay, We're going to look at some details and see if we can put it all together and be as amazed as perhaps they were on that very first day. So if you have the insert in your bulletin, let's go to the text. We will be referring back to it consistently. Let's look at verse 1. But on the first day of the week, that Sunday, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. Who was the they? Who was there early that first Sunday morning? Well we know that according to verse 10 in Luke, along with the other gospels, that at least it was Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, who was also called Mary the wife of Cleopas, Joanna. Salome, and others. That whole group went there to anoint the body of Jesus early in the morning. So there is at least five or six women in this group. Verse 2 And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of Jesus. Quick point of clarification. Mary Magdalene left sometime between verses 2 and 3. We don't find that here in Luke but if you look at the Gospel of John, here's the picture we should have in our mind. Five or six women, including Mary Magdalene, get there early at dawn, at daybreak. Mary Magdalene sees that the stone has been rolled away and that the Roman guard is no longer there. She immediately infers that the body has been taken, the body has been stolen, And so in panic and desperation, what does she do? Do you know? Do you remember? She goes back to tell Peter and John, okay? When she goes back to tell Peter and John, the remaining women there, they're the ones in verse 3 that go into the cave to investigate, okay? Let's look at verse 3. But when they, okay, went in, this was a group absent Mary Magdalene, They did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Verse 4, while they were perplexed about this, okay, that group is perplexed that the stone's been rolled away, the guard is gone, and there is no body. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. There's nothing in our context, that could begin to convey what they saw when they saw these two men. We know from Matthew and Mark that these two men were angels. And their clothes looked brighter than anything those human eyes had ever seen. And they responded in the same way that people respond all throughout Scripture when they come into contact with an angel of the living God, all they knew was to bow down and worship. Look at verse 5. And as they were frightened, because it's overwhelming to see an angel. None of us have ever seen an angel. It would, it would just overwhelm you. And as they were frightened and they bowed their faces to the ground. That was the posture of worship. They, they didn't know what else to do. The men, these angels, said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now, it's important to understand that Luke is giving a broad summary of the events of this day and the morning. He is not listing everything that happened in strict chronological fashion. So, Luke is giving a broad summary. Go to verse 10. Now it was Mary Magdalene, and Joanna, and Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them, seemed to the apostles, an idle tale and they the apostles did not believe them. Now remember that. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marveling. Now the Greek word there could also mean wondering. I think what's really going on is that Peter, he's confused. He doesn't believe yet. He's just confused and shocked and kind of bewildered at what's going on. Okay. So if you take all the Gospels together, here's the picture that emerges. The women, including Mary Magdalene, get to the tomb first at dawn, at daybreak. Mary sees the stone rolled away, the guard gone. She panics in desperation. She thinks the body's been taken. She goes back and gets Peter and John. As they're making their way back, the remaining women, they go inside. When they go inside, they do not see a body. They see the angels. The angels said to them, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He has risen. Jesus told you this. Then they leave. When they leave, as they're going away, John and Peter and Mary Magdalene get back, so they miss each other as they go back and forth. Then Peter and John get there. They go inside. Do you remember what they saw? They saw the linen cloths by themselves, but they did not see Jesus. So then they leave. Do you remember what happens then? Then Mary Magdalene, she goes in after the men leave. She goes in. She sees the angels at the head and the foot. Okay. They talk to her and then she sees Jesus himself. Then Mary Magdalene leaves. Okay. That's the picture of the morning. Then Peter and John get back and tell the disciples that they did not see the body just like Mary had said. Okay. So that's kind of a summary of what has happened to this point. But here's my question to you. Why didn't the apostles believe the testimony of the women why didn't they believe the testimony of the women why didn't they believe the testimony of the women after Peter and John had gone to the tomb and saw that the body wasn't there consistent with what the women had said you had multiple women who testified that they had seen the angels who had said that he had risen but what did the disciples say Luke said They said it seemed to them what? An idle tale. Why didn't they believe the testimony of the women when they confirmed the body wasn't there? Here's why. In the minds of the apostles, in the minds of the disciples, the death of Jesus had falsified all his claims in their minds. Jesus' death falsified his claims. Jesus' death sadly confirmed to them that he was not the Messiah after all. So, for example, <clears throat> Luke twenty-three forty-nine reads, Because who was there at the crucifixion? Everyone was there at the crucifixion. Just a few were up close but everyone watched from a distance. Luke writes that all those, all those who knew Jesus stood at a distance, meaning witnessing the crucifixion, and the women who had followed him from Galilee were there and saw these things. To say what they would have witnessed was horrific would be an understatement. To see The man who you perceive to be the Messiah of the living God lifted up and hung on that tree publicly humiliated would have been totally overwhelming. So question for you, if someone was to come now and claim that they were Jesus, the Messiah of the living God and that this person had come to win the last battle and to affect all of the wonder and the beauty of the second coming and if that person was crucified or lost what would you think about that person? You would think they can't be Jesus, it can't be the second coming because what do we know is going to happen when Jesus comes again in power and glory? What do we know is going to happen? He's going to win. He's going to make all things new. That's what they were thinking was going to happen when Jesus or the Messiah revealed Himself for the first time. They did not understand that there would be a distinction between the first advent or the first coming of Jesus and the second coming. They did not operate with that distinction in their mind. And so when Jesus was publicly humiliated and crucified, in their minds it was over. No way that person could be the Messiah. That's why they did not believe the testimony of the woman. Question for you, thought experiment. If an archaeologist found the bones of Jesus in a tomb inside Jerusalem, it's just a theoretical thought experiment. If somehow the bones of Jesus were confirmed to have been found, what would that do to Christianity? It would end it. It would be over. Jesus' public execution to them meant that it was over and that he could not possibly be who he claimed to be. I want to remind you they have not found the bones of Jesus in Jerusalem. That was just a thought experiment. But his death to them would have had the same effect. Okay, it was over. The apostles believed it was over, okay? That's why Cleopas left and went back to Emmaus. That's when you do when things are over. You go home, you lick your wounds, and you leave. Cleopas's response. Cleopas and the other disciple, the unnamed disciple, the way they responded that morning when Peter and John got back. I think if you put all the events of the passage together, that's what happens. Okay, the, woman, the women come back, say they've seen angels. Peter and John get back and say, we saw the tomb, but there was no body. Cleopas and his friend realized, it's over. We're done. They couldn't travel on the Sabbath but they could travel this day and so they left. You lick your wounds, you're devastated and you leave. Verse 13, that very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. Friends, they were going home. Verse 14, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together. Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Verse 16. This is interesting. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. What do you think they saw? You know, I mean, I would imagine they just saw a man that they just they just didn't recognize, you know, someone who was obviously a, they perceived to be a stranger. Verse 17. And this so-called stranger said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding? That Greek term for holding implies there was an animated, a, a passionate discussion going on between Cleopas and this unnamed disciple. Okay, wonder what they're, what they're talking about. He said to them, what is this conversation that you were holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things ...that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, well, concerning Jesus of Nazareth... ...the man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people... ...and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death... ...and crucified him. Now notice this, verse 21. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Did you notice what Cleopas says? He says past tense. We had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. What was their view of redemption? We've talked about this for weeks. What does that word mean like redemption in their context? Redemption in their context meant to be set free from something. It was a word that derived its meaning and significance from being redeemed from Pharaoh's oppressive hand in Egypt. And when they were redeemed from Pharaoh's hand, what does that mean? They were were set free. And so they were hoping that the Messiah would redeem them from whom? From Rome. Redemption for them meant national freedom. They didn't understand that they were in bondage to something far worse than Rome's oppressive rule. They were in bondage to their sin. And that's what redemption was really about. But at this point, they didn't see it. Jesus being crucified by the very people they were hoping he would set them free from confirmed it. He is not the Messiah. Verse 22. Moreover, some women of her company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. When they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb. That's Peter and John, of course, and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. Okay, and that's when Cleopas and the other disciple left. Verse 25. And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary, in other words, you don't get it, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all of the scripture the things concerning himself. So he still veiled. Wouldn't that have been the most amazing Sunday School class you could ever attend that while still veiled, have no idea how long he spent with them, he opened up the Old Testament and demonstrated how in every division, every section, the Old Testament pointed to the life, death, and resurrection of the Christ of the living God. And that this was not unanticipated but prophesied for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Go to verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther but they urged him strongly saying, we found out later that their hearts had been burning within them as he explained the Old Testament. They didn't want him to go. They knew something different was about him. They urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread. Now this is on the other side of your insert. He took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. This is amazing. Their eyes were opened. He allowed them to recognize him. And he vanished from their sight. Can you imagine how slack-jawed they were? Like, did you see what I just saw? I mean, how stunned and amazed when the entirety of the Bible came together in that moment and he's gone. Notice what they did next. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Verse 33, and they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. By that point, Jesus had appeared to Peter. Verse 35. Then they told, they shared their story, what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. A lot of points could be made here, but the point I want to make is the point I think Luke is driving home. There is absolutely... No way that the disciples of Jesus, the apostles of Jesus, would have believed in his resurrection had they not seen the physical, literal, tangible, living body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing short than having a personal experience with Jesus was going to do it. That is Luke's point. What was it that compelled Cleopas and his friend to make a seven mile walk back to Jerusalem, a dark and dangerous journey at night, except that they had seen with their own eyes, Jesus of Nazareth raised from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus is the only thing that can account for why the apostles went on to risk the worst forms of torture to proclaim he was alive. People will give their lives for a lie that they think is the truth. Think of like a a suicide bomber or in World War II a kamikaze pilot. They're giving their life for something that is false, but they believe it to be true. And yet they're willing to sacrifice everything for it. No one gives their life for a lie that they know to be a lie. Jesus, I mean, Peter, tradition says, was crucified upside down in Rome approximately 64 A.D., Because he proclaimed that Jesus had been raised from the dead. In fact, tradition tells us that he requested to be crucified upside down. You don't do that if you know that it's a lie. And Peter and John and the other apostles would have known. Here's my question to you this morning. Beloved, at the end of the day, When all is said and done, do you really believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? The literal bodily resurrection. Do you really believe it? And does it change your life? Does it change the way you live? Does it motivate you to live for Jesus Christ and give your whole life to Him? It should. It should change everything about us in the deepest and most profound of ways. Changes everything when you really believe it. And last little point I'll make from the end not only did it take the bodily resurrection to convince these men and women that it was true, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ is even better and more glorious than we know. Look at verse 36 very briefly. I'll just make a quick point. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and they thought they saw a spirit. They thought this was a ghost. Many of them had not seen Jesus yet. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see, remember that. Remember before, before what he had been able to do after he revealed himself to uh, Cleopas and his friend at dinner, what did he do? He vanished. Now he's asking them to touch him. A spirit does not have flesh and bone. Flesh and bones, remember that, as you see I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet while they, were, while they still disbelieved for joy. In other words, they thought it was too good to be true. He said to them, have you anything here to eat? He gave them a piece of broiled fish. He took it and ate it before them. How did he convince them that he was alive? He showed them his body. He showed them his hands and his feet. He said that even now, in this glorified body, he has flesh and bones. And how did he seal the deal? He was like, hey, 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 guys, wake up. Give me some fish. Give me something to eat. That's amazing. You know what this means? This was the first time in all of history that the new creation had actually broken into this world. The body of Jesus on that day, the glorified body of Jesus that could vanish, come and go in a moment, has flesh and bones, could eat food, those weren't properties of the fact that he was God. Those are things we're going to enjoy in the new heavens and the new earth. We're all going to die. Our body is going to decay. This passage gives us hope. Every one of you will have this kind of body. A body that's not fit for this world but buddy, it will be fit for that world. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest thing that has ever happened and it changes everything. Pray with me. Our gracious God and Father, we don't have the time, we don't have the time to mine all the riches of this passage, but we thank you that if we know nothing else, we know this. Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth has been raised from the dead. He has been glorified and he is in the process of preparing a whole new world for his people. Father, help us to understand that that redemption really was accomplished on that good Friday, Father. Um, We cannot imagine the wonder, the beauty, the glory, the significance, the importance of what unfolded when Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Father, we do pray that it would change everything, that it would change our lives and that it would help us love him and, and serve him and worship him all the days of our life and that it would give us hope and help us to look forward and know that death is not the end, but a new creation is coming because he is risen. We pray this in his matchless name, amen.